0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President, Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, and I am sitting in for Tony this Friday before Memorial Day. So glad that you have joined us. I want to remind you that you can find this program and every program at TonyPerkins.com. encourage you to do so. Also, you can find us on your phone encourage you to download the Stand Firm app at the Google Play Store as well as iTunes. Find that at the phone near you today on the program. As we lead you into Memorial Day, we are going to um, memorialize and we are going to think about uh, at the beginning of this program, the men and women who are serving around the country in various ways, and we are going to appreciate and honor their sacrifice later in the program we are going to talk uh, with George Barna, who is a great service to the church. His combination of data and evangelism. How has he used data and evangelism? He has joined us at the Center for Biblical Worldview here at the Family Research Council, and he will be part of that program. Later in the program, we're also going to discuss thinking biblically with David Claussen uh, at the end of our show today but first uh, us we the earlier today the house republicans sent a letter to speaker Nancy Pelosi urging her to instruct democrat committee chairs to allocate the investigative resources necessary to look into the origins of COVID-19. For more than a year, House Republicans have called for full investigations to address China's complicity in obscuring the origins of the virus. But those calls were ignored. Now, with mounting evidence connecting the virus to China's Wuhan Institute of Virology, House Republicans say it's time for House Democrats to join their investigation. With me now is one of the House Republicans who joined this call, Congressman Don Bacon, who represents Nebraska's 2nd Congressional District. He also serves on the House Armed Services Committee. Representative Bacon, welcome back to Washington Watch.
1: Thank you. It's really good to be with you. I appreciate your time today.
0: Well, we appreciate you joining us, and you have been tracking all of this for us. Uh, first, I want to talk a little bit about China and this investigation, this letter that you sent to Speaker Pelosi. Um, what kind of response are you getting from calls to fully investigate the origin of the virus?
1: Well, I think the majority surely want to get to the bottom of this. You know, I, about a year ago, I was briefed on what we knew on the origins of the virus, and this is what I was told. That the lab was actually working and, ex- and studying the virus. So they had the virus in the lab. And secondly, that they f- that the Wuhan lab- laboratory failed the safety protocols in their last inspection. And so it stands to reason that it's very possible, or at least plausible, that the virus had an accidental outbreak. And we don't know that yet. Uh, but then since then, you know, the media and Democrats or the democratic leadership anyway, diminished that as a the theory. But I was told that at the very beginning of this, that this was possible because the lab had the virus and they had bad safety protocols. So it was, it was likely. So I think the Americans, I think the whole world wants to know was this an accidental outbreak out of the laboratory? 600,000 Americans died. We deserve to get the answers.
0: There are reports that the Chinese government plans not to cooperate with any investigation into the origins of the virus. Uh, What's your response to that?
1: It's probably, it's not surprising. We have to remember that we've had journalists disappear that were reporting out of this in China. We had doctors arrested who were talking too freely. This is a communist dictatorship. There's no rule of law. Uh, They can arrest who they want. They can silence who they want. And they are very apt to not want to have any of this data come out. Uh, so I think they're, they're going to stonewall. They've stonewalled them since uh, December of 2019, right? So it's, it's very likely they're going to continue doing that and trying to silence any sources of information on this.
0: Domestically, do you feel like there is general agreement that we can and should try to get to the bottom of
1: this? Yes, I think it's an overwhelming majority. I think it would be a bipartisan uh, thing that would support. I would, so I think only a very small minority would push back on this. Uh, America deserves answers. The 600,000 families of people who died from this virus deserve answers. And frankly, the world deserves an answer.
0: Now, I think everybody watching this uh, will agree with that. We do want answers. Uh, what, what do you make of the fact that the the, uh, the theory that this had actually come from a lab in, uh, in, in Wuhan had been um, ridiculed in many circles is now becoming um, accepted in some of those same circles? Is that purely political or has the science just changed?
1: I think it was mainly political. You, you have major Main Street or, you know, the, the, the national media, I'll say, uh, did ridicule this. It was fact-checked as being as, quote, proven false, which we know it wasn't. And I think on the political end of it, uh, folks thought that this was maybe helping President Trump uh, during the campaign if this theory uh, was true. And, frankly, the, uh, on the Democratic leadership and the national media – were so opposed to the president uh, that they didn't want this to be a factor in the election. So I think this is more more than not politically motivated on why it was ridiculed. When after all, I was briefed at the very beginning that the laboratory was working on this virus and they had terrible safety protocols. And so it was very plausible uh, that this could have been an accidental outbreak. And what they also did, these fact, checker, fact checkers and the national media, Democratic leadership, they put words in people's mouth. They put words in, like, Senator Cotton's mouth saying it was, it was biological warfare. He never said that. It was always assumed an accidental outbreak, not an intentional biological attack by China. But they put words in people's mouth and then tried. It was a straw man argument, most often, that was being used. And so it's, uh, surely it surely was done for political reasons, but that, that's my assessment.
0: Now, I want to change subjects with you for a moment and go to Afghanistan. We know that President Biden has said that he wants to withdraw all the troops from Afghanistan. He actually gave the date of September 11th to do that. He made a statement today that I want to play and then give you a chance to respond to that.
1: Went to Afghanistan
2: with a clear purpose to get the people who attacked us on 9-11 and prevent al-Qaeda from using Afghanistan as a base from which to attack America in the future. We
3: achieve
0: that purpose
2: you achieved that purpose
0: do you agree with his assessment that what we went to to afghanistan to do has been accomplished therefore it's time to withdraw
1: it has but we could lose those gains in about a year or two years and so yes we uh, kicked al qaeda out of afghanistan or at least what, what and any al qaeda still there they're underground they're hiding uh, the taliban Is still a big threat, though, in Afghanistan. And if we pull out, like President Biden is saying, it is very likely that within a year or two years, the Taliban could be in the capital of Kabul and they will provide safe haven once again uh, to Al Qaeda. And that's what, what happened in 2001 leading up to 9 11. Al Qaeda had safe haven in Afghanistan. So we have made, we have accomplished our goals, but if we pull out, like President Biden, we could lose those goals and lose what we fought for. It is my view, and I would say the majority of the Republicans I work with, and many of the Democrats too, by the way, that we should have a minimal presence in Afghanistan, not a major presence, not the presence of 100,000 troops like we used to have, but of the smallest presence possible to help the regime in Afghanistan, the government of Afghanistan, hold power. Our main goal is to to not let the Taliban come back That should be our goal. That should be in our strategic interest to ensure that that does not happen.
0: And I think it's an an interesting question as we move into Memorial Day because of those who have made the ultimate sacrifice in Afghanistan, as well as other parts of the Middle East, to ensure our security, to prevent uh, the Taliban from having a base from which to operate there in Afghanistan, because we know what they can do. We are also hearing reports of thousands of families who are fleeing and being um, unsettled uh, because of uh, new skirmishes in Afghanistan. Do you think there's any chance that that would cause uh, these new, uh, th- the new violence in Afghanistan, cause the Biden administration to reassess their current plan?
1: I hope it does, but they seem like their mind is made. And by the way, it was a shame to make 9-11 the date to pull out your troops out of Afghanistan, tying the withdrawal out of Afghanistan, really a retreat, a precipitous retreat out of Afghanistan to tie it to the date of 9-11, where we lost roughly 3,000 American lives. Uh, I thought that was a, a mistake in messaging and, and just a lack of wisdom in, in doing that. I hope that President Biden will realize that having a minimal presence of troops in Afghanistan will preserve our strategic interests, and in the end, it will be cheaper than pulling out all of our forces and then a year or two later having to go back in with force to kick the Taliban out of Kabul because they're doing terrorist attacks or enabling al-Qaeda to attack us. That will cost more money and more blood to go back in and, and root them out if they, if they retake the country of Afghanistan. I'd rather have the small presence. I think it's cheaper and more affordable option in the long run.
0: I'm going to change the subject on you one more time. You have recently been to the border. Earlier this year, um, we saw the headlines. We saw the caravans at the border. We heard record numbers of people coming into the border once the border wall construction was stopped. And, and apparently the message was sent that they were welcome to come into the country. And the Biden administration did not really intend to do anything about that. What's the latest news based on your, your time there at the border?
1: We've been averaging about 175,000 people coming across illegally in the month of March and the month of April. So approximately 350,000. The worst thing that the Biden administration did is they come in on January 20th and immediately tell the world that we will now accept unaccompanied children. Uh, President Trump had said we would not. And so they didn't send their unaccompanied children. Uh, So it... That got cut down to very small numbers. But when, when you announce that you're going to take unaccompanied children, within two months, we had 60,000 children coming here. And they're paying human traffickers between five and $10,000 apiece, and they're abusing the children. Uh, just today, we saw a report of a nine-year-old girl that was gang raped repeatedly by multiple gangs who was helping out the human traffickers or was, was with the human traffickers. We see children being on top of a 15-foot fence, and they're dropping them 15 feet from the top of the, the border wall. These kids are being abused. It's, it's creating trauma, and it's because we said we would take these unaccompanied children. And so it was a mistaken policy. I think Joe Biden saw this and his team saw this as a humane way to deal with children, to accept them. But what it did is it actually created a situation where more inhumanity is being done. So inhumanity has now been increased in this situation. And so also he stopped doing the border wall. We have a 14-mile gap in El Paso, and that's where most of the folks are crossing illegally today are. We have holes in the old fence. And so it, it, you put it all together, it's a failed policy, and the American people know it. Right now, the, the administration is being rated the lowest uh, in all areas in this in securing the border and immigration, and this is why.
0: Congressman Bacon, we greatly appreciate your time and your attention to this matter. And we look forward to having you back again. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And coming up next, and we are, we are going to continue to follow that story. The, the news from the border is tragic. We desperately hope that the Biden administration is going to make adjustments. Because certainly uh, everybody's got good intentions, but the results are not good right now. Coming up after the break, uh, we're going to talk to George Barna. Stay with us.
4: What is Roe v. Wade and what did it do? The Supreme Court's 1973 decision ruled that abortion is protected under the U.S. Constitution, striking down many state abortion restrictions and severely limiting the extent to which states could write their own abortion laws. The Supreme Court's limitations on states to legislate abortion restrictions depends on the trimester of a pregnancy. For instance, Roe disallows states from restricting abortions in the first trimester but allows some restrictions on abortions in the third trimester. What Roe doesn't do is require states to have any restrictions. Abortion through all nine months of pregnancy is the default, unless Congress or the individual states pass laws restricting it. That leaves a lot of room for unrestricted abortions. For a full explanation of how Roe versus Wade liberalized abortion laws, go to frc.org explainer. That's frc.org explainer. After the recent wave of media censorship, are you struggling to find a conservative, relevant, and Christian platform where you can find out what's really going on? Here at Family Research Council, we believe that Americans have a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. If you're ready to hear the facts that the left doesn't want you to know about, then head over to frcblog.com to check out our latest blog posts. We cover a wide range of issues you and your family care about, all written by our policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview experts. We discuss topics that other media platforms won't, like changes in pro-life policy, current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the bigger picture of the shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, visit frcblog.com. That's frcblog.com.
5: Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible with their Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. FRC's two-year Bible Reading Plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. This reading plan takes you through the Bible as events happen in history. Laying out the scripture every day in an engaging manner, it is key to helping us stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start reading today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch, Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony today. This is a big week for Family Research Council, in part because we have announced the launch of our Center for Biblical Worldview and two of the new newest members of the team, including George Barna, who now serves as senior research fellow for the Center for Biblical Worldview. Many of you know George for his work at the Barna Group, which he founded in nineteen eighty four as the Barna Research Group and was sold in 2009 through the Barner group the American Culture and Faith Institute and Metaformation, George has conducted brown breaking groundbreaking research, excuse me on worldview cultural transformation, ministry application, spiritual development, and politics. He's provided research and strategy for several hundred parachurch ministries, thousands of Christian churches, various for-profit organizations, and the U.S. military. He's also provided polling and strategy for four presidential candidates. Now I'd like to welcome back to the program Mr. George Barna. George Welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks, Joseph. Good to be with you. It's so good to have you. Glad to have you in studio. I know we've spoken before, um, but it's good to have you in the building. Absolutely. Um, Before we get into the data stuff, I just want to find out a little bit about how George Barna became George Barna. Because this niche that you have created for yourself and the career that you've built on. Caring about numbers, but really applying that to the church and the gospel and ministry is really unique. There's not a lot of people who do that. How did you become the guy who does this?
2: You know, it all started out a long time ago with baseball cards.
0: Baseball cards.
2: My friends would get baseball cards. We all have big collections, and we get together, and we yeah. compare and trade and all that. And they love the front of the cards that showed the picture of the player and the yeah. batting stance or the pitching right. uh, stance. I love the back with all the numbers, and I got to a point where I was so obsessed with that, not only did I memorize those, but I started recalculating them to figure out whether or not Topps, Baseball, and the other companies got the numbers right. Did find some mistakes, wrote to the companies, and pointed it out. yeah, so, I mean, that, that was kind of the start of it, and... Sports statistics really is what got me going. So you
0: were a baseball card fact checker. Yes, That's sir. That's how they started.
2: The original one.
0: <laughs> Are there? Does that still exist anymore? It I mean, does.
2: It's actually making a comeback
0: right now. Okay. Yeah. Well, congratulations, because everything's being fact checked. <laughs> and, and you were a fact checker before fact checking was fact checking. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your faith journey. Um, when you were doing that as baseball cards, did you have this vision, wow, maybe someday I can use this and advance the gospel all over the globe?
2: No idea. I wasn't even a Christian, didn't uh, know Christ until I was in grad school. So while I was in grad school getting degrees in marketing research and political research, uh, that's when it first became an idea in my mind that maybe I could use this skill of doing polling and research studies. For churches, so the church that we had, had accepted Christ in, I said, "Hey, would you like to know something about the people that you 're trying to serve yeah. here i 'll do a congregational survey yeah. they said what 's that you know and we kind of created that and did that i 'm sure other places yeah. had done it before, but I had no knowledge of it and so I started with that, went into the marketing research field, uh, did study you know a lot of work. Uh, Chevrolet was a client, uh, visa, all kinds yeah. of big corporations. But then a Christian marketing management company came to town. They said, look, we represent a bunch of televangelists who are on television. You guys do all the research for the networks and the movie studios. Mm -hmm. The company I was working at did that. And uh, they said, we'd like you to test our guys. Nobody else in the company had any idea what a televangelist was, what a Christian was, for that matter. And so my boss, the executive VP, said, hey, get that Barna kid in here. He said he's a Christian. He might know what they want. You know, put him on the job. And uh, that's what kind of led me into the field. I eventually worked for that company, moved back to Chicago to do that, and then a few
0: years later started the Barna Research Group. So did you... Were you a stats major? Did you study um, data in college? Is that what you did? Actually, it was public opinion polling. Okay. Uh, That's a major.
2: Well, it was at the time. There were only three universities in the country that had a degree, a graduate degree program in that. I went to one of them. It's since closed down. Okay. So there are fewer now. But, uh, you know, you can go into marketing research through business programs. But I was doing more social science
0: research. When you first started to apply this to the church, was there a particular problem you were trying to solve, or was it just kind of circumstantial? Like, well, now I'm working for churches, so let's find some other ways to work for churches.
2: Well, there's always been the tension. On the one hand, you have clients who come in and will commission a study. You know, an organization, a ministry organization will come in and say, we're struggling with this. We don't know what to do about that. We'd like to grow this. We're not sure how. Can you give us some data that would give us some direction? So that's, that's one thing where you got people paying for it. But the thing that I've always been most interested in are the questions that nobody seems willing to pay for. You know, we're going to talk about worldview. Nobody wants to pay for worldview research. You know, so I've always done studies. You know, when we started our company, Disney was a big client. We took the money we made off that and poured it into these kinds of studies that I was interested in. So worldview, discipleship, evangelism, those kinds of things were big issues for me. What does the church want to pay for in terms of data? How
0: do we get more people in the door? What's the answer to that question? (laughs) The answer is I don't really care. Well, well, you you, you made a number of years ago, you wrote a book on the subject and and actually made a big impact on the fact that churches need to put more money into their children's ministry.
2: Yeah. I mean, but but, but that's not what they're willing to pay for. Because their perspective is we minister to adults. Adults are the ones who pay the bills. Adults are the ones who fill the seats. Adults are the ones who have influence in the culture, blah, 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 without realizing. But those adults can't have the kind of influence that they should have because when they were children, all we do is we treated them as bait. Mm -hmm. We use them to get the adults in the door. If we could make the kids happy, then they'd get mom and dad to come back again. And then, you know, it's a win-win in their eyes. I say it's a lose-lose. This started off for you as baseball cards. What was your favorite baseball card? Mickey Mantle. Do you still have it? Uh, I I have one. I used to have about twenty uh, over the span of about fifteen years of his yeah. career. Came home from uh, grad school one day, and my my youngest brother also loved baseball. He'd cut all the heads off the players, and he'd made a little collage. And uh, I was going to make a collage out of
0: him. I'll tell you that. Is that because you were a Yankees fan? <laughs> uh, Careful! Oh, I always have been. Okay, yeah, I was born in New York City. Okay, so, well, yeah. well that explains that. Yeah. So Yankees, Mickey Mantle. Got about thirty seconds, and we're gonna we're gonna keep going in the next segment. But what's what passion? W- What itch does this scratch for you doing data? How does this make you? Well, to me, it's very real. I I
2: get upset when I have to work with leaders who say, I don't feel this, or I've never experienced that. I don't care. I mean, let's deal with reality. And to me, if you do the research right, you're getting a grip on reality, and you can only make good decisions if you have good information. Great.
0: We're going to come back right after the break. With more with George Barna, we're going to talk about a recent survey that he did. Dig into the details of why people who think they have a Christian worldview actually don't. We'll talk about all that after the break. Come on back.
4: Where do you get your news? Do you have confidence you're getting the full truth? If you want to stay up to date on conservative news and are looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged, then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Stay informed with a trusted source. Again, search Stand Firm to download the Stand Firm app.
6: As the political and cultural landscape of our nation has shifted in a concerning direction, it is so important for Christians to be equipped with biblical answers for the difficult questions of our time. That is why Family Research Council created our Biblical Worldview series. With the political left changing definitions to favor their narrative and to push their agenda, at times it can be hard to decipher what is true. That is why we must hold to the truth of the Bible, which stands the test of time. It holds the truth that does not change. Become equipped to stand firm in the face of cultural and political storms with FRC's Biblical Worldview series. This series dives deep into what the Bible says about some of the most crucial issues of our day. You'll learn what the Bible teaches on abortion, same-sex marriage, the separation of church and state, religious freedom, and the age-old question: Should Christians be involved in politics? To access this series, visit frc.org/worldview. That's frc.org/worldview.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. So glad that you are with us. On Wednesday, the Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview, an exciting new ministry that will help Christians develop and live a biblical worldview. And in tandem with the Center's launch, FRC released a new national survey regarding the state of worldview in America. While we unpacked parts of this survey on yesterday's program, there's still more to unpack. And with me now to continue our conversation is Mr. George Barna. And George, um, enjoyed just hearing a little bit about how you got into this, um, but in the survey... Kind of the, the headline that has been discussed now th- this week since, since it was released is the fact that 51% of Christians think they have a biblical worldview, but according to your assessment, 6% of them do. Explain to us where, where that difference is. What questions did you ask these people who believe they're Christians, who go to church, who think they have a Christian worldview, but what did they say that indicates to you that they may not have a Christian worldview?
2: Well, when we assess people's worldview, we typically uh, every year through Arizona Christian University, the Cultural Research Center, where I do the research, uh, we do an annual assessment of America's worldview. That's how we know 6% have one. And the way we do that, we ask 51 different questions, both about beliefs and behavior, because our contention is if you say you believe it, but you don't do it, you don't really believe it. So we want to measure both, see where the conjunction is. And as we look at those 51 questions, I mean, there are things like what people believe about, say, the accumulation of wealth and money. You know, why does that happen? What does it mean in a person's life? And what we find, for instance, is that only about one out of four Americans believe that any kind of wealth or money that you have in your possession was given to you or brought to you somehow by God for you to manage for his purposes – Most people think, you know what, this is stuff that I deserve. I earned it. I worked hard. Nobody else gets credit but me. Other people, you know, might say things like, well, you know, it's just an example of the inequities in our culture, in our Mm -hmm. system, the fact that I may have something and that person doesn't. So there are all kinds of different perspectives that people have. But in that particular case, only one out of four people would actually have a biblical perspective on it, that all wealth is God's, and he'll distribute it as he sees fit, and when
0: we have it, we should be investing it and managing it for his purposes. Give me another example. Are there like Christians who are basically pantheists? Are, are they pantheists? Are they? You, you, what other examples? I mean, you talked about wealth here. But what other ways are is the the thinking of a typical Christian in America inconsistent with what we see revealed in Scripture?
2: Well, we could talk about things like success in life. Mm-hmm. What is success? And we know that uh, a little bit less than three out of ten Americans would say that success is consistent obedience to god Mm -hmm. that would be a biblical perspective Mm -hmm. but most americans will say that either success is about me being happy Mm -hmm. or me being comfortable or me being able to accumulate resources that give me pleasure or comfort or whatever so most people are thinking about themselves Uh, the the key issue that we've got in this has to do with truth and the role of god And we know that most Americans don't believe there is any such thing as absolute moral truth. We know that most people in America do not believe that the Bible is reliable and trustworthy or a source of God's uh, guidance for us. And we also know that most people would say that life is about them and how they're able to orchestrate things, as opposed to recognizing that they've been created by God for his purposes and we're supposed to relate to him, not force him
0: to relate to us. Right. The founding truth claim of of humanism naturalism is the end of all being is the happiness of man so if we make our decisions and make our moral judgments around the idea that the purpose of my life is to be happy then you're not thinking like a christian are you no of course not you're thinking like a naturalist and i think what yeah. you're doing is 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 teasing out the very specific ways in which our thinking is much more humanist Then it is Christian and that's and that's a valuable service and and one of the things that we want to do with the Center for Biblical Worldview is give churches and pastors and parents the opportunity to make these assessments themselves are the people in my family do we actually think like Christians do the people in my church actually think like Christians and I think you're providing a great
2: value. And in the course of doing this research, I mean, I worked with the faculty at Arizona Christian because we're a worldview development university. So we came together and we said, all right, as we measure this, let's give people the options that a Marxist might want, Mm -hmm. that a secular humanist might want, that a postmodernist might want, that an Eastern mysticism uh, adherent might want. We had seven other worldviews that we know were the most common. And we put those in there. And what we found, actually, was that the most common worldview that people are drawing from is moralistic, therapeutic deism, which is kind of a fake Christianity. Right. You know, it's got God involved there. It's flavored by God,
0: right. but it's really right. not about biblical truth. That's right. Now, about a minute left. You also talk about the connection between being politically conservative and theologically conservative. What did you find there?
2: Well, there, you, you know, you find that with conservatives, for instance, 74% think they have a biblical worldview Only 16% actually do. So political conservatives, most think they have a biblical worldview. Three out of four think they have it. One out of six actually does. But that's much better than what we find with political moderates or political liberals, where with moderates, you've got about half who think they have a biblical worldview. Only 3% do. With liberals, only a third think they have when
0: only yeah. 1% actually does. So, mo- and, and so that is a very clear partisan dividing line, which I guess is not surprising, right? Because most people on the political left aren't necessarily trying to align their their life around Scripture. We know that certainly some are, um, but maybe they're doing so inconsistently. George Bonner, really appreciate your research and really thankful that this conversation is not over. It is just beginning. Really appreciate it today. Thanks, Joseph. Thank you. Stay with us after the break. We use this word worldview a lot. But what is it? We're going to talk about that with David Clausen when we think biblically about worldview and what that means for your life. Stay with us.
7: Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch on the American Family Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, and independent Christian radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com.
6: Since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 60 million people are now missing from our country due to legalized abortion. Public opinion, our knowledge of law, and scientific advancements demonstrate that Roe should by no means be considered settled law. Roe is an abomination in our country's history, and it's time for the horrendous practice of legalized abortion to end. To learn more about the legal, historical, and cultural reasons to overturn Roe v. Wade, go to frc.org Roe.
3: The Equality Act sounds like good legislation and something that ought to have bipartisan support, but it doesn't. Why? Because the Equality Act, paradoxically, would spur inequality. It is Trojan horse legislation that would hinder equality and would massively overhaul our federal civil rights framework. The stated purpose of the bill is to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. The real effect of this bill would not be to eliminate discrimination, but to erase the freedom to hold a different opinion. The Equality Act would mandate government-imposed inequality by requiring acceptance of a particular ideology about sexual ethics, while leaving no room for legitimate public debate. Simply put, the Equality Act mandates an anti-life, anti-family, and anti-faith agenda throughout federal law, and would be a disaster for all Americans. To learn more about the inequality of the Equality Act, visit frc.org
7: equalityact equality act. Since June of 2015, over 12,000 Christians have been killed in Nigeria. This violence has reached a point at which experts are warning of a progressive genocide specifically targeting Christians across Africa's largest and most economically powerful nation. Yet this violence often goes unreported in the media and, if reported, is seriously downplayed. To learn more about what is actually taking place in Nigeria, along with other countries where Christians face persecution, visit frc.org slash Nigeria.
4: Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the biggest abortion supplier in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed 354,871 abortions in fiscal year 2019, up by over 9,000 abortions since 2018. According to these numbers, Planned Parenthood aborted 972 babies every single day. To learn more about what Planned Parenthood is really doing, visit frc.org slash planned parenthood facts
0: Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. As we announced yesterday on Washington Watch, FRC has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview, an exciting new ministry that will help equip Christians to think biblically and train them to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square. If you missed yesterday's show, I encourage you to find it at TonyPerkins.com. And hear more about the genesis and goals of the center, as well as the survey findings that were released together with the center's launch. You can also find more about the center by visiting frc.org slash worldview. When given the launch of the center this week, it's appropriate that our weekly worldview conversation is this week on worldview. And with me now to talk about it is David Clausen, the director of FRC Center for Biblical Worldview. David, welcome back.
8: Hey, good to be with this, you, Joseph.
0: This is a big week for you. It's a big week for us. What, do you, what are your thoughts on the center? What are you hoping to accomplish?
8: Yeah, no, I think every day here at FRC is an exciting day, but this week, uh, especially with the launch of the Center for Biblical Worldview, uh, this has just been so exciting. We, we debuted the center with our pastors, our Watchmen pastors, uh, just yesterday and have the website up and running. You know, Joseph, I think uh, launching the center in conjunction with George Barnes' study, uh, that, that was intentional. And we got the results back, and you just finished talking to George about the study, about that, that top-line number that 51% of Americans think they have a biblical worldview when, in fact, we only know 6% have one. That There's a major difference between perception and reality. But I see that as an opportunity. Yeah. There's tens of millions of Americans that think that a biblical, having a biblical worldview is probably a good thing, something yeah. that they should aspire to, something they want. Uh, What our opportunity now is, is to come alongside pastors and churches uh, and and Christian parents and show them what a biblical worldview is, why it's important, why it matters, and uh, uh, we're going to be producing all sorts of resources to help people understand uh, how they can uh, see all of life through the lens of Scripture.
0: Uh, That's right. And and on today's program, actually all week here on Washington Watch, we've been using this term worldview. and. Some people might be confused about what that is and how would you describe to people what their worldview is and what worldview is in general?
8: Yeah, I think just uh, it's so important to define terms, and there's a couple ways we could define the term worldview. I think most simply it's just the lens through which you see all of life. A, a worldview uh, consists of the ultimate beliefs and convictions you have uh, about reality, about what is true. It's how you answer the most fundamental questions about origins, uh, morality, uh, meaning, and destiny. Uh, so really I think, but putting it simply, I think just like a, a pair of glasses, a contact lens, it's the way you see your world, and how you interpret it and then uh, interact with it. So it includes uh, behaviors, yeah. uh, excuse me, beliefs and behaviors. Yeah. I,
0: You know, for me, worldview, to, to put it in kind of a relational context, I don't know if this will be helpful for people, it's kind of like when, when your spouse, when, when things are going well with your spouse, and for me it would be my wife, If she does something that's kind of like inconvenient or I wish she hadn't done, if things are generally going well, I'm going to assume the best about her motives, right? Because I'm going to assume that it's, oh, that was an accident. So my response is going to be different. But if you assume negative things about their motive, because you're in a fight, so you assume this is revenge, the exact same behavior will lead you to different conclusions. And so you're bringing different assumptions into the world and, and, and everybody, and certainly not necessarily about your spouse, though we have assumptions about our spouses, of course. But I think when I think about worldview, it's, you know, the questions that you suggested or the issues of origin, meaning morality and destiny. And we'll just talk about that first one with origin, the assumptions that you make about origin, though many people aren't conscious of those have a tremendous effect on what we think about everything because somebody who believes that we evolved out of primordial goo over billions of years and a bunch of random convenient helpful mutations produced us is going to think differently about everything than somebody who believes god created us with a purpose right
8: yeah well just yeah just that question with with origins are we created or are you and i the result of intentional design and purpose or are we cosmic accidents? Uh, again, the Christian worldview says that we are created by God. We're made in his image. That gives us inherent value and dignity. That gives us purpose. With other worldviews, which the vast majority of Americans would have more of a naturalistic kind of worldview, that, that there were accidents. That there, there's no value, there, and, which really means there's no basis for even human rights. So, right. so how you answer that question, why is there something rather than nothing, that's a massive question that really mm-hmm. will affect all sorts of moral, political uh, and cultural issues.
0: Yeah. Well, much has been said and written on understanding worldview. And in this time today, we can't we can't fully go into that. But I want to ask you, is it possible not to have a worldview?
8: It, no, it, everyone has a worldview whether they realize it or not. Because, again, a worldview is just – it's how you see the world. It's it, it's really the answers you give to life's fundamental questions. Why is there something rather than nothing? Yeah. What's gone wrong in the world? Is there any hope uh, for the world? Uh, where Where's all this headed kind of eschatology? Yeah. Everyone's going to have a worldview now. Not everyone's worldview will be coherent or consistent. In fact, our, our colleague, George Barner, who's joined us as a senior research fellow, he came out with a poll very recently that showed that 88 percent of Americans have what you could call a synchronistic worldview, which means that they kind of pick and choose parts of different worldviews so that they hold a worldview that's yeah. inconsistent, incoherent. But nevertheless, they do have answers to all of these questions. So everyone, whether you realize it or not, does have a worldview.
0: How would you describe someone, and there are a lot of people that I've encountered like this, who when we introduced this conversation, they they couldn't even track. They wouldn't be able to have this conversation. They haven't spent, apparently, 20, 30 minutes in their life thinking about where they came from. Um, Whether it's just a lack of curiosity or they're just dealing with kind of survival issues, depending on where in the world you are, right? A lot of people have not ever sat down and said, oh, what do I think about origin? What do I think about morality? What do I think about where my life gets meaning or whether my life has meaning? Um, They haven't thought deeply about that. So if somebody hasn't been intentional, if nobody in their life has said, hey, you need to think about these things, if they don't go to a church, if they haven't gone to college and been in a philosophy class where these questions have been posed to them, what does their worldview end up being? If you say everybody has a worldview, if they haven't been purposeful about figuring out what it is, then what is their worldview?
8: Yeah, it would be what George Barner calls that synchronistic worldview. They're copying and pasting. Oh, and so where, where are they getting that from? Well, they're getting it from the media. Uh, they're getting it from Hollywood. They're getting it from the education system. Because again, all of us have answers to these questions, and it, maybe they're not fully fleshed out, but we all have, you used the, the word a second ago, Joseph, we have assumptions uh, about all of these things. And and I would say, Joseph, even Christians, uh, we can get into some of the polling in a second, but I think a lot of Christians haven't thought through deeply some of these questions that we're asking. And I would put uh, suggest to those Christians, uh, many who might be listening to our show, that it's not an option not to think about these issues. Jesus himself said we ought to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and and mind. And I, 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 you know, to our shame, I think, as Christians, often we don't think deeply about these issues. And, and we haven't for a while, whether it was the early fundamentalism of the early 20th right. century, even some strands of Pentecostalism that might prioritize uh, the heart over the mind. But, but as Christians, I think Scripture doesn't give us that option. We must engage our minds as well as our hearts on these fundamental questions.
0: You talked about the survey that we released this week, and... What it showed is that there are a lot of people who think they have a biblical worldview, and according to the questions we asked them, they may not have a biblical worldview. Tell us more. Dive into the details of that. About what that difference is.
8: Yeah, and again, I have the the stats right here, Joseph. And this is so. so The top line is yes. So, fifty-one percent of Americans Mm -hmm. think they have a biblical worldview. We know it's actually only six. Well, what about those who are in the church? Well, those who identify as a Christian who are willing to tell a pollster that they, that they follow Jesus, 68% of those people think they have a biblical worldview when, in fact, only 9% of them do. Uh, those who would say that they are born-again born again Christians, 80% of them say, oh, yeah, of course I have a biblical worldview. Only 19% of those 80%, I'll give, let me give yeah. you two others, those who actually attend evangelical churches. So again, this is people. these are people who put in the effort that they, they wake up yeah. early on Sunday, that they don't go to brunch, that they go to church. Uh, 81% of those people believe that they have a biblical worldview, when only 21% do. And, yeah. and of course, you, you break this down by generation. The older someone is, the more likely they, they believe they have a biblical worldview. Uh, and then the younger you, you get... Um, it's less likely they actually have a biblical worldview, but I think this is a, uh, this is sobering, uh, and I think we should for uh, pastors who are listening to this, this is kind of a wake up call. There are many many people who are in our churches. Uh, they they sit in the pews next to us. They they think they have a biblical worldview. They think they're responding to life through the lens of scripture, when in fact they're not. Uh, whether that's because they're listening to the media, they're they're listening to other sources that are informing their worldview. But what an opportunity, Joseph! And again, why I'm so glad to work with you here in our newly launched Center for Biblical Worldview to provide resources uh, to come alongside pastors to make sure that their, the people in their congregations really are taking every thought captive to the Lord.
0: In our last segment, we we talked to George Barna, who commissioned this survey and, and gave us this information, which is which is helpful. And he. Described for those who may have missed it, that the reason the assessment was made that these people don't have a biblical worldview is on questions like, you know, where does morality come from? Um, where does my money come from? It's kind of fundamental Christian uh, questions that there is a that there's a Christian answer to. They had they they indicated a more naturalist or materialist um, perspective. On those issues, so it is measurable, and what our hope is, and one of the things that we're going to be encouraging people to do is to um, make those assessments yourself for your family. Is um, and it's frc dot org slash worldview survey. Right? Is that what the URL is?
8: Yeah, if anyone's interested about these statistics, I'm sure there's some people who, like George, I listened to the previous segment. He, even as a kid, was doing baseball cards, looking at the you know right. the fine print. If anyone's listening to us and wants to, wow, this survey is really interesting, I'd like to break it down further, you can find that. We've yeah. we published that at frc.org slash worldview survey.
0: Yeah, and, and I think one of the reasons that's important is what we're going to encourage people to do is make those assessments yeah. because – you hinted at this earlier. Why is it good news that so many people think they have a biblical worldview?
8: Yeah, I think it's good news because it's an opportunity. Again, it shows that there's tens of millions of our friends and our neighbors and those who go to church with us that would say, yeah, having a, a, a worldview that's biblical. Or you know, maybe they think, that, oh, the Bible is probably a, a good book. It's something I should aspire to. Uh, we, we we need to unpack it. Now, I'm sure some of those people, yeah. once we unpack what it means to follow Jesus, they're well, maybe I'm not so interested in that after all. But I I think it's an opportunity to educate and to show here's what it means to follow Jesus. And again, that's what we're going to be doing in the weeks and months to come, Joseph, is providing resources to make sure that people uh, such as pastors and and especially Christian parents understand uh, what the stakes are understand what the lay of the land is, and then what can we do to to fix the problem. Because here at FRC, we don't want to just point out problems, Joseph. We want to be able to point people to solutions. And again, that's the hope with this new Worldview Center, is that we can come alongside those with the resources to make sure that these numbers uh, begin to trend in the the direction we want to see it.
0: Right. Now, you have these significant number of people who say they have a biblical worldview. We we also know that within Christianity, there is now a real effort by some on the left, this what they would call progressive Christianity, to basically take Scripture and say, well, it doesn't actually mean what we thought it meant for 2,000 years. We have this new revelation that it means something else. If people who do not have a biblical worldview but claim to be Christians can be convinced that their opinions are actually inconsistent with Scripture. Do you think they're more likely to change their opinion or to walk away from Scripture?
8: Well, that's that's a good question. And my hope would be that if someone really does have a high view of the Bible, that they think it should be the, the guide to their life. That if we can point out, hey, look, you, you say you believe this about say – let's take the life issue uh, about – you mentioned progressive Christianity. Yes. I'm thinking about Pete Buttigieg when he ran for president. He famously made several arguments that, well, you know, I believe that life – I have a high scripture, he said, and the Bible teaches that life begins with breath. Therefore, as a Christian, I can be pro-choice. And I think that, you know, as progressive Christianity uh, continues to grow and as people walk away from the faith, those arguments might be persuasive. And that's why we're going to say, and I have a whole booklet on pro, uh, excuse me, biblical principles for pro life engagement, pointing out, actually, well, the Bible, teaches the person of the uh, unborn from cover to cover. And I think as we hopefully explain what the Scripture teaches and we show, uh, again, people just probably don't even know this, but for 2,000 years on the life issue, uh, theologians and pastors have interpreted Scripture uh, to affirm the person of the unborn. So hopefully, you know, Joseph, I think it'll be an individual person-by-person case. But my hope is that as we explain what the Bible teaches on these first-tier moral issues, issues where the Bible speaks clearly, that hopefully people will begin shifting. And, well, if the Bible teaches that, I, I want to submit to that.
0: That is certainly the goal. But that I'm, con- I'm concerned about that because what I observe uh, recently is that when – People have to choose between their politics and their faith, more people are leaving their faith over their politics than seem to be leaving their politics over their faith. and that really is the question is when in conflict, which one is actually my God? Which one am I serving? And in a world that is as politicized as ours is, I think it's a fair question that that fifty one percent who want who say they have a biblical worldview. Do they really want a biblical worldview or do they just kind of culturally they have affinity for the Bible and they think they're supposed to? And so they they want to say they are, but they, we'll see when push comes to shove.
8: And, and you and I are going to force anyone to believe what we would call biblical Christianity. That's why you and I are for broad religious freedom. And it's important. You know, Jesus himself said, if you would follow me, you need to be willing to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. There's a price for anyone that wants to follow Jesus. And I'm not going to shy away from that here at the Biblical World Youth Center. We're not going to shy away from that. But if you truly want to follow Jesus, you know, we can come alongside you and show you what that looks like.
0: That's exactly right. And that is the goal of our Center for Biblical Worldview. And David Klaassen, you are the director, and we thank you for it. This is an exciting project. And, again, the website for the survey, frc.org slash worldview survey. You can also find the Center for Biblical Worldview, the newly launched Center for Biblical Worldview, and the promo video and the materials that we already have FRC.org/worldview. The goal here is to connect the gut. We've always been engaged in cultural issues, in in political efforts, and we want to help people see that there is a biblical gospel foundation for everything that we're doing. Thank Washington Watch to with
8: Tony that. Perkins is
0: brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action.